Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of the Going Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. The last couple of weeks have been a little bit crazy for non-work reasons. Um, here in Eugene, we had the ice storm. I'm sure I'm not the only one who lost power for at least a couple of days and was impacted by all of that. Uh, we didn't have a podcast last week because of that, uh, but fortunately there wasn't a ton of breaking Oregon news that needed to be covered. Um, so I was able to, you know, kind of put the podcast on hold for a day or for a week and, and focus to some other things. Um, but we are back right now. We're going to do sort of a, a recap pod today and catch up on everything that we missed, a mix of basketball, football, uh, recruiting, transfer portal stuff. I'm working on getting a big-time guest this week, uh, hoping to record this week, and then probably put it out early next week. I've teased this guest before, and it fell through, so we are taking another swing. Um, it's another swing at that pinata and hoping it works this time. For now, though, let's cover our bases and go over the top news stories from the past couple of weeks. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get into it. Last time we talked was the uh, it was the emergency podcast after Dan Lanning announced that he was staying. That feels like a that feels like a really long time ago. Um, to be honest, so much has happened not just for the Oregon Ducks, but in the world of college football since then. I mean, you had um, after Lanning said he was staying, you had a lot of people turn down publicly the Alabama job only for Washington's Kalen DeBoer um, to accept the job and leave the Huskies. Um, then you had Arizona's Jed Fish leaving. Uh, the Wildcats to go to Washington, which reopened um, a couple of transfer portal windows. You've had a ton of highly, highly talented players from Alabama um, say that they're leaving Alabama once Kalen DeBoer came. They're going elsewhere. It's just been kind of a, a hectic past week and a half or so. It's kind of dying down a little bit. Um, obviously, you've seen some of the top names from Alabama and Washington You know, kind of decide where they're going. There's still a few major targets still out there that – I know um, Oregon is specifically looking at, but um, it's just just said it's just been a little crazy. There's been a lot of news flying around. Like I said in the intro, I want to go over some of the biggest news stories that have been taken place since then. Focus specifically on the Ducks. I know that some of these might feel a little bit dated because that was almost two weeks ago that we last talked. But I just want to make sure that you're up to date and we kind of know what's going on. So. Let's start with the transfer portal updates. I don't think that we had um, the news about Evan Stewart or Jamari Caldwell the last time that we spoke. Um, If you don't know about these two guys, these are a pair of massive, massive portal additions for the Ducks. I'll start with Evan Stewart. He was the number one ranked wide receiver in the transfer portal this year. Um, He is the top ranked transfer portal addition that Dan Lanning has made since coming to Eugene, even higher than, um, you know, Dante Moore, Dylan Gabriel, all of these guys that have been like incredible additions. Jordan Birch from last year, he's ranked higher than them according to 247 Sports. He was the number one wide receiver in the 2022 class. He was the number six overall player in the nation in that class. Um, ended up committing to Texas A&M. This guy's a huge instant impact candidate. 
Um, I think that he will likely take over as a starting wide receiver next to Tez Johnson and Treshawn Holden next year. I personally think that he will jump Gary Bryant in the starting lineup. Um, if you haven't seen his film, I encourage you to go find it on YouTube because he could easily be one of Oregon's best players next year. Um, I think he's he's got that talent. and You get him working with someone like Junior Adams. You get him with a quarterback like Dylan Gabriel. Um, I think the sky's the limit for this kid. He's got a couple. I think he has two years of eligibility. This is someone where it's it's expected that he'll play for one season in Eugene and then go off to the NFL. Potentially could be a, a first or second round draft pick. I think he's got that type of ceiling. Um, it's unclear right now whether or not he will play in spring ball because he's been dealing with some type of injuries. There's been, you know, you ask Texas A&M fans, there's been some frustration with him because he and from him himself, he's he's spoken openly about his frustration with the the training staff at Texas A&M that they've been unable to figure out some of his injuries. He's focused a lot on on mental health and had some mental health problems over the past year as well. So, um, you know, there's there's things to pay attention to with him. It's not like he's someone who's played you know every game in his career and and been on the field for every snap. He's missed some time, be it for uh, whatever reason, but. Um, you know, I'm, I'm told by someone on the program that they're not sure if he's going to play in spring ball. He might sit out spring ball to, to recuperate and recover and be ready to go 100% once fall rolls around. But, um, this is someone I, I can't wait to see him on the field because you look at his film, you look at his highlights. He is a very, very talented player. I can't wait to see what junior Adams does when he gets a hold of him. And when he gets in this Oregon offense. The Ducks also added uh, Jamari Caldwell, defensive lineman from Houston. This was a bit of a surprise commitment. Uh, most people were projecting that Caldwell was going to go to Texas. Uh, he ended up going to Oregon. I think it was the day after Lanning announced that he was returning, and Evan Stewart was the night after or the night of Lanning announcing that. So it was kind of a, a bit of a one-two punch of celebration for Duck fans because it was like, oh wow, you're just getting all this really incredibly good news. Uh, Caldwell was the number two defensive lineman in the portal. He's the number 17 overall rated in the portal. This is a big time addition, not only because of the talent and the talent that Caldwell brings, but just because of where it comes on the defensive line, which was, you know, I've said before, a major, major area of need for the Ducks. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about Oregon needing uh, an addition or two on that defensive line this offseason. That's been one of my main focuses this offseason. Uh, you've got a lot of talent there, but it's mostly inexperienced young, you know, freshmen or sophomores who have not had that much, you know, playing time or haven't proved that much on the field that they can be your starters and can be these big difference makers. You feel good about their upside and what they bring to the table, but you haven't really seen it. And losing guys like Brandon Dorless, Taki Taimani, Casey Rogers, Pobo Amalai, you know, you need to replace that experience with something and you feel a little bit better now that you have Caldwell because this guy's a senior with a ton of experience. He's got one year of eligibility. He brings a lot to the table. Um, another guy, he's, I, I forget his measurements off the top of my head. He's, um, let me look that up real quick just because I want to be sure. He's six foot one, three hundred and twenty-five pounds. He had eight point five tackles for loss, six and a half sacks last year. So, like I said, he brings a lot to the table. He's a very big body, um, really physical in the defensive line. Plays mostly defensive tackle. Um, can move a little bit from nose tackle out to the edge if you need him, but mostly primarily in that defensive tackle spot. So, 
very, very big addition um, on the defensive line for the Ducks. I wouldn't be surprised if they still added another defensive lineman, maybe after the spring season gets over and they uh, they kind of assess what they have at that spot. But um, for the time being, this was a, a major addition when you look at the roster construction of this defense. Last weekend, the Ducks also added uh, former Duke defensive back Brandon Johnson. He's a nickel safety. Uh, this guy feels like a perfect fit for the defense. He's very good in coverage from the slot. He's had a ton of success blitzing, um, getting tackles for loss, sacks from the secondary. Um, he really feels like a plug-and-play type of guy that is a great addition to this defense, especially after the loss of Cole Martin, who I think uh, projected to be your nickel safety going to 2024. I, you know, I thought that he was going to be your starter in nickel. He ended up entering the transfer portal, going to Arizona State. Um, you know, so getting Brandon Johnson, someone who comes in, he fits right into that nickel spot. I know he's listed as a cornerback, but you look at his PFF grades and kind of his uh, snaps by position. He thrives in the slot. That's where he plays most of his uh, most of his snaps. He can move a little bit to outside or to deep safety as well if you need him to. But he really is going to, I think, be your primary nickel defender for the Ducks. Compete with Nico Reed for that position. Uh, Oregon is also still after former Washington cornerback Jabbar Muhammad. Uh, he is expected to make a decision sometime soon. Uh, there was a belief that he was going to make a decision last week, but then he still needed to visit Oregon. Uh, was unable to do that last week because of the weather, because of the ice storm, obviously. So I believe he visited Oregon over the weekend. Um, the Ducks are thought to be the favorite to land him right now over Texas and Alabama. Um, we will see. I mean, that that commitment could come any second now, any minute, any day. By the time you're listening to this, um, I'm recording this on Tuesday afternoon right now. It'll go up on Wednesday morning. He could be committed by the time you hear this. So uh, should the Ducks land Muhammad as I personally expect them to? I think that they're, they should be the favorites right now. Um, just what an incredible secondary they would have and what an incredible roster going into 2024. A lot of Ducks, or a lot of, excuse me, a lot of rankings right now have the Ducks as one of the top teams in the nation going into 2024. I have them personally ranked as the number three team in my preseason top 25. I think it's deserved. I think that you look at, you know, all the upgrades they've made uh, just at, at every position across the field. Look at the returners they're getting, the returning starters on defense, on offense. There's a very, very high ceiling for this team going forward. It's just going to be about whether or not they can win the big games. Um, you know, they've got a I've, – I've been going through the schedule a lot this past week, their 2024 schedule. There's a few games that are going to be really tough that are going to be tough wins. But outside of, you know, three or four games at most that really, you know, put stress on you – it's not a very difficult schedule. I mean, you're playing like Purdue's and Illinois and, uh, you know, Hawaii, Idaho, uh, Oregon State, you know, sorry to Oregon State, but, um, you know, there's a lot of games that are very winnable. So I think that Oregon, if they play to their ceiling, should be a very, very good team. I think the the floor for this team should be the 12-man playoff. I think that if you don't get into the playoff next year, it's going to be a little bit of a frustrating season. One last piece of note, um, Coach Demetrius Martin announced that he was leaving for a coaching job at Michigan State, joining Jonathan Smith with the Spartans. This makes sense. Um, this is where he played his college ball, so it kind of makes sense that he would go back home and, and get a, you know, a bit of a promotion going to Michigan State. It is a big loss for the Ducks. I think that uh, 
Coach Meat was a very good coach. Obviously, he did a really good job with the cornerbacks here at Oregon. He brought guys like Christian Gonzalez, Kyrie Jackson, um, Nico Reed. He really did well with the development of these players and even young guys on the roster who have turned into real difference makers like Julio Florence. Um, we had been wondering for several years what Dante Manning was going to turn into. And I think that Coach Meat did really well. Um, you know, with his development and getting him into a, a starting caliber type player. Uh, while this is a big loss for the Ducks, I really like what they did to replace him. Oregon kept it all in-house, which I think should not be overlooked. And more than just keeping it in-house, they consolidated and they found a way to construct the balance of power in a way that I think benefits them going forward. Here's what they did. Former safeties coach Chris Hampton, who came to Oregon last year as a former defensive coordinator for Tulane, he's now been promoted from safeties coach to an overarching defensive backs coach where he will oversee cornerbacks and safeties and nickelbacks, all of it. He kind of now acts as the number two defensive coach uh, behind Tosh Lapoy, overseeing the entire secondary. Behind Hampton, they promoted Rashad Wadud, a former graduate assistant who worked with the cornerbacks. He's now into a bigger role. Uh, they did the same thing with assistant linebackers coach Brian Mikulowski. Um, Both of those two coaches are very, very valuable, and I think both of them are seen are, as you know rising stars in this industry. I can see them as future coordinators down the road um, as they continue to kind of climb the coaching ladder. The Ducks found a way to keep them in Eugene, promoting from within, giving them bigger roles while Lanning kind of continues to build out his coaching tree. This all goes back to something I talked about a year ago when Hampton was hired. It feels like Landing is sort of, you know, stacking the deck a little bit and building depth, which is with his coaching staff. Uh, we know how quickly a coaching staff can be turned over, and the coaching carousel sees coordinators from top teams hired away every year as they go on to be head coaches at other. Um, at other schools and and find better jobs elsewhere. We saw last year with Kenny Dillingham, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see it again in the next couple of years with both Will Stein and more notably with Tosh Lapoy. Um, Lanning knows that it's it's coming eventually if they keep reaching the level of success that they desire. And he said in the past that he wants it to happen. He likes coaches on his team um, stepping up and getting better jobs somewhere. He's rooting for that to happen. He wants to build out his coaching tree and he wants people to come to Oregon, elevate the brand and get hired elsewhere. He likes having that happen. Having other teams hire away your coaches means that you're doing something right. Well, it leaves you in a tough spot because you're losing a talented coach. This is where Lanning's strategy of building coaching depth will pay off. Chris Hampton came to Eugene a year ago because I believe he saw a future moving up to the D.C. spot in Eugene. These graduate assistants and assistants on the staff are moving up in the coaching ranks and getting better jobs in Eugene as the team finds success on the field. That stuff matters, and as time goes on, it will continually grow and foster, and that's how a coaching tree really blossoms. We've seen it with Nick Saban, we saw it with Kirby Smart, Urban Wire, Bill Belichick, all of these great coaches. I think we're starting to see that in Eugene and Lanning is starting to build out that coaching tree and making moves like this really, really help. It's not splashy. It's not going to generate a ton of headlines, but it is incredibly smart. And I think it'll be very valuable to the program as time goes on. All right, let's take a quick break and then make the switch over to basketball before we get out of here.
All right, the Oregon Ducks and Dana Altman, they faced their first real bump in the road this past weekend on the uh, the mountain road trip. They lost both games to Colorado and Utah, going 0-2 on the mountain road trip. I know that this is, uh, you know, you say mountain road trip to any Oregon fan, and they're already just going to groan and roll their eyes because great things tend to elude you when you go on that trip. Uh, Oregon has really, really struggled against Colorado and, you know, they've actually done very well against Utah over the years. Um, I think they had, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe they had 11 straight victories over Utah coming into this year. Uh, but you know, it's, it's incredibly rare that you go on this road trip and get a sweep um, going one and one is always, that always feels like a win going on two, though it, doesn't always happen it's you know it it does happen sometimes so uh during this road trip we saw the what felt like the real return of Infali Dante uh I know he returned last week but he got more minutes this weekend um he looks very very good and I think he looks this he looks to be up to form quicker than expected um you know I I knew that we would get at some point this year you know actual Infali Dante you know his all-american form he looks to be like that after what I think three games back. So um, on Sunday against Utah, he had 23 points, 10 rebounds, six assists. Um, you know, I, I am just really impressed by what we saw from him. He looks to be, he looks like he didn't miss uh, eight weeks. I think it was. Um, so while his conditioning needs to continue to get a little bit better, then um, he can play, you know, I think he played 29 minutes against Utah. So he's playing a lot of time. Um, they need him out there as much as they can. And it became very apparent against Utah. They need more help around him as well. I'm going to focus mostly on this Utah game because against Colorado, they just, they didn't play very well. Um, you know, they never really had too much of a chance. They hung around a little bit, but Colorado beat them by, I think it was 16. It was 80 something to 70. So, um, you know, the Utah game though, they should have won in my opinion. And I think it's, uh, they had a lot of chances. It came down to it at the very end. I think it was 80 to 77 was the final. Um, you know, this was a, a fantastic game from Jermaine Cousinard. He went seven for 10 from three. He had 26 points. Uh, him and Dante really were the two best players on the court outside of them. They got absolutely nothing though. Jadrian Tracy got the start. He had zero points and five fouls. Jackson Shellstad, six points, over four from three. Brennan Rigsby, six points, two for seven from the field. Keyshawn Bartholomew, he played 23 minutes. He had seven points, two for eight from the field. If you do if you get even one more player to step up and hit some shots, Oregon wins that game. And I think they're doing all right. But it was a no-show from the role guys, and it left Dante and Kusnar to do all the heavy lifting. They did a really good job of it. They almost got that win in a, a tough environment on the road, which would have been a really good quad one win, which you need at this point in the year, but it just wasn't enough in the end. Looking forward, I think the Ducks are now in, you know, a tougher spot. They're, you know, they're not out of the tournament picture by any means. Um, in fact, the last bracketology came out today has them as I think one of the last four teams in. Um, but they're in a, a tougher spot going into this weekend. They had a chance to, you know, really separate. They're in solo first place in the Pac-12. Getting even one of those two wins would have been really big. Um, getting two wins would have been amazing. They would have really separated from the rest of the Pac-12 and been like, I think, the team to beat um, in the conference. They probably would have been ranked as well. Going over two really hurt. Uh, they are now in a three-way tie for first place, and they play the other two teams that they're tied with, Arizona and Arizona State, in their next two games, both of which will come at home. 
like I said, the latest bracketology currently has them on the bubble. Um, with you know, they're on the right side of the bubble right now. But you, you know, Oregon fans know very well from the past two years that being on the bubble and being on that bubble watch is pretty stressful. So they need some quality wins going forward. Feels like this weekend they absolutely have to have a split at the very least, whether that comes against Arizona State or Arizona. Um, you know, either one. I think beating Arizona would be probably better just because that they're a, a ranked team. I think they're 12th in the nation right now. But then again, you don't want to lose to Arizona State. So two wins would be awesome for the tournament hopes. 0-2 would be incredibly detrimental. We will talk to Dana Altman later today. Uh, we get to see the end of practice and talk to coach and players uh, here in a few hours. So uh, we'll hear what he has to say for an update on that. Check out Duckswire on Wednesday morning. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Again, I am efforting to get a really cool guest on later this week for next week's episode. Hopefully we get that done this time. Either way, though, I will be back next week to update on the weekend of basketball and continue forward with all of the news and notable things that happened for Oregon football, all Oregon sports, stuff like that. Thank you again for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We'll talk to you guys next week. Until then, take it easy.